This is the Turf Zone Podcast, your central information and news hub, bringing together professionals from turf associations across multiple states to share things to help you in your business. Brought to you in partnership with our friends at the Turfgrass Council of North Carolina. This episode is sponsored in part by Bysod, world-class service on demand. Visit us online at www.bysod.com. Now, let's get in the zone. Welcome to the Turf Zone. In this episode, we feature an article titled Origins of Turfgrass by Jay McCurdy, PhD, Associate Professor, Turfgrass Extension Specialist, Department of Plant and Soil Sciences, Mississippi State University. This is the first article of a multi-part series detailing the origins and future of turfgrass. Turf consists of a layer of various plants cultivated to form a uniform ground cover, typically one that can tolerate foot traffic and routine mowing. The first known use of the word turf occurs before the 12th century and refers to the upper stratum of soil bound by grass. Objectively, turf only exists in human-maintained systems. However, the species comprising various turf scenarios long predate human interference. Those turfgrass species most frequently selected for turf scenarios have been subject to environmental pressures, notably frequent grazing, that have selected for traits that enhance their value as turf grasses. Valuable traits include color, texture, uniformity, growth habit, and durability under stress. Plant breeding, the introduction of non-native and exotic species, and recurrent selection for desirable traits have led to modern cultivars and varieties of turf grass that predominate in maintained turf settings such as lawns, sports fields, golf courses, sod farms, and roadside rights of way. Turf grasses are typically narrow-leaved species of relatively short stature that are somewhat regularly mown at heights of approximately 4 inches or less. By convention, all grasses, including turf grasses, belong to the Poaceae family of monocotyledonous flowering plants. The monocotyledonous, monocot, clade includes grasses and grass-like flowering plants with seeds that contain only one embryonic leaf, also known as a cotyledon. Monocots offer few obvious advantages for turf applications, as other flowering plants in the dicotyledonous clade, having two embryonic leaves, also persist under typical mowing heights as weeds or amenity forbs within various turf scenarios. Not just grass. Turf grasses are broadly classified as cool or warm season plants. Cool season species are the predominant turf grass species in climates with cold winter and mild summers, as well as adequate soil moisture. Warm season species predominate in climates with mild winters and hot summers. The overlapping area between the two is termed the transition zone, where cool and warm season species grow equally successfully. Cool season species have evolved a C3 photosynthetic pathway for carbon fixation. They use an enzyme called Rubisco to fix CO2. 
That carbon from CO2 forms a three-carbon sugar and then goes on to fuel plant growth and metabolism. Alternatively, warm-season species have evolved a C4 photosynthetic pathway that produces a four-carbon sugar. Plants with the C4 pathway have improved metabolism and have a competitive advantage over C3 plants under conditions of drought, high temperatures, and limited nitrogen or carbon dioxide. Cool and warm season species have different optimal temperatures for growth and metabolism. Warm season species grow best when temperatures are above approximately 80 degrees Fahrenheit and enter dormancy below their base growth temperature of around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Alternatively, cool season species grow best when temperatures range from 60 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Cool season species enter a state of winter dormancy at temperatures below freezing and are often considered dormant during summer conditions that exceed their ideal growing temperatures, especially when soil moisture is limited. Growth models to predict the suitability and phenology of these species are largely based upon these parameters and estimates. There are approximately 40 million acres of turf grass in the United States, 2% of the total U.S. land cover. Several estimates suggest that residential lawns represent roughly 75% of U.S. cultivated turf, an area of approximately 30 million acres. Early Lawns a lawn is an area of soil-covered land planted with grasses or forbs that are maintained at a short height by mowing or grazing. Lawns may be situated in residential areas or commercial or shared public spaces. The word lawn originates from an ancient Celtic language, possibly Welsh. The Welsh word shan, which is often used in compound words to describe a local place named for a saint, such as Sean Peter or St. Peter, has come to mean a cleared or enclosed area of land, perhaps around a church, business, or settlement. The common Britonic word Sean came to mean an enclosure, most likely around a place of worship. Early lawns would have been used for communal gatherings and possibly grazing, although the area would have been distinct from agricultural fields. Lawns would have been composed of mixed grasses and forbs that were endemic to the area. Lawns are frequently attributed to European origins, but their purposes, communal gatherings, periodic grazing, aesthetics, etc., and the ingredients to manage them, low-growing species and a suitable environment, have often coincided throughout global human history. For at least many thousands of years, humans have felled trees, grazed, and gardened their immediate surroundings. This behavior partly arose from the advent of agriculture, but also serves for defense. Modern gardeners can easily relate to the struggle to keep deer or rabbits from ravaging gardens. An aesthetic preference for stately grounds certainly would have developed, but could only occur when safety, time, and labor were available. Grazing would have prevented cleared land from reverting to forest and other previously intangible benefits of a cultivated lawn would have been noticed. Though they may not neatly fit within the contemporary definition of a lawn, early examples of maintained open spaces as yards or lawns are fairly commonplace the world over. They include examples like 
the plaza between mounds at the Cahokia Complex in Illinois, where the stick-and-ball sport Chunky was played 900 years ago, and Japanese gardens that incorporated manicured grasses, mosses, and even trimmed bamboo. While not unique to Europe, most scholars agree that the modern American lawn aesthetic owes much to European origins. Lawns existed in Europe from the Middle Ages, in the 5th through the 15th century onward. They were rudimentary by contemporary standards, with very practical purposes, line of sight for defense and communication, ease of movement, production of grain crops and vegetables, grazing, and fire prevention. Those early lawns must have created vistas and an aesthetic that evolved with European civilization. The European lawn of the 17th and 18th centuries was a demonstration of wealth and power at some of the continent's finest estates. The Palace of Versailles, Tapis Vert, or Green Carpet, one of Europe's first and finest garden lawns, was expanded by André Le Notre to two acres in the 1660s. A century later, the lawn had been cemented as an exemplar of Western Europe's idealized built landscape. The architect Capability Brown refined the English lawn with natural or romantic estate settings for wealthy clientele. His landscapes featured smooth, undulating lawns running from house to horizon, sometimes with dammed rivers or creeks, serpentine lakes, clumps of vegetation and scatterings of trees, and a visible horizon line. These gardens often used grazed grass lawns or pastures to supplement the perception of scale within the landscape. In some instances, they used lines and texture to deceive the eye-employing concepts like false horizons using ha-ha walls or cleared land that sloped uphill and decreased in width as it reached a ridge. During the late 18th century, wealthy families of the Americas began maintaining lawns. In 1780, a Shaker community near Philadelphia began commercializing lawn seed. Thomas Jefferson is credited with the first English-style garden in the United States, circa 1806. Mowing leads to modern lawns. Before the advent of mechanical mowers, manicured turf grass required animal grazing or human-powered sites. The term mower dates to the 14th century, referring to one who cuts grass with a scythe. The term may have multiple origins. Old English mowen and the Greek term ameo both mean to reap a crop. In 1830, Edward Beard Budding based his mowing machine on a cloth-cutting cylinder used to trim the irregular nap of wool cloth. Thus, modern mowing equipment was born. The Victorian era's penchant for sport spurred revolutionary new mower designs to maintain sporting venues for golf, football, lawn bowls, lawn tennis, and cricket. In fact, the term lawn tennis was coined in the 1880s. Mowing is the most common practice performed on maintained turf grass and is by most accounts the most important and defining maintenance operation. The obvious purpose of mowing is to reduce the height of the turf but it also serves other purposes, including the control of undesirable vegetation, weeds, and the production of a desirable sports surface, a true putting surface, or a target surface firmness. 
the ability to mow large areas without tending livestock or toiling over a scythe revolutionized the ground's maintenance industry and sparked a revolution in landscape design. Modern lawns look far different from their early predecessors. Lawns have been a mainstay of the U.S. built environment since the mid-20th century, during which large tracts of land were converted into suburban housing, recreational areas, and commercial real estate. This trend, spurred by population growth, technological advancements, and other socioeconomic factors, led to a reliance on turf grass as a ground cover for newly constructed outdoor spaces. This is to say almost nothing of the parallel and synergistic developments of the golf industry, which we will explore in a future article. It also says little about the historical changes in schools of thought regarding urban infrastructure and the development of parks and neighborhoods that were spurred by successive waves of soldiers returning from overseas wars, the effects of the Spanish flu pandemic, and the city dwellers' migration to the suburbs, or Depression-era spending on public projects that transformed the U.S. landscape and natural spaces in ways that are evident to this day. In a future article, we will explore the concepts of landscape sustainability and future-proofing for the modern turf grass economy. In much of the U.S. and around the world, rooftops, parking lots, busy city streets, and home lawns are replacing natural habitats. These systems have, for better and worse, changed how we interact with, build, and perceive our environment. Turf is just one result of these changes. For all resources associated with this article, check out our show notes. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at theturfzone.com. You've been listening to The Turf Zone. Thank you to our sponsors, including By Sod, world-class service on demand. Visit us online at www.bysod.com. For more episodes of The Turf Zone, visit theturfzone.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.